Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia, of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. Joey Crown, musician with an odd, intense face, whose life is a quest for impossible things, like flowers in concrete, or like trying to pluck a note of music out of the air and put it under glass to treasure. Joey Crown, musician with an odd, intense face, who in a moment will try to leave the earth and discover the middle ground, the place we call the Twilight Zone. Hey guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema, the Twilight Zone series. I'm your host, Jimbo, and once again, I'm joined by... ADZ in the house. ADZ is definitely in the studio. In the in the studio. Been in a long house. time. Yeah. I mean, just like yesterday, or a few minutes ago. No. <laughs> yeah. So here we are talking about episode 32, A Passage for Trumpet, and... Just when you thought things couldn't get any worse in the Twilight Zone, an episode like this comes along and... But I'll save a mine for the end. Um, so, Eric, let's go ahead and take this away. <laughs> All right. A Passage for Trumpet. Uh, this is episode number 32 of The Twilight Zone. And episode... I'm sorry. Season 1, episode 32. I'll get it right. Um, this one was directed by Don Medford. And it was written by Rod Serling. And it has some featured music by Lynn Murray. And this is definitely full of... It says here, including trumpet cues. There's definitely plenty of trumpet in this episode. <laughs> Man, I'm going to hear trumpet for days. Yeah. So the original air date was the for this episode was May 20th, 1960. Total production cost for this particular episode was $49,973.90. If we adjust that for today's inflation, we're looking at 447000 $193.81, just shy of what you have in Dogecoin so far right now, Jimbo, right? <laughs> this is correct. Just I love it. Sure of, I love it. Yeah. All right. Um, and let me go ahead and throw the technical specs in here, and then Jimbo can jump in with the cast after this, because the technical specs are, again, they're straightforward in this episode. The runtime is 25 minutes. 
The sound mix is mono, the West Trex recording system again. And this is a black and white episode, aspect ratio 1.33 over 1. This negative format is 35 millimeter. And again, this is a spherical cinemagraphic process, and this is a 35 millimeter episode. So it's one of the one of the good ones as far as production wise. So Jimbo, you want to talk? Right. I don't cast? think I don't think we get any to those uh, videotape yeah. ones yeah, until, until season two, season. I think. Yeah. So, all right, the cast uh, starring the great Jack Klugman. Uh, he played Joey Crown, who is, of course, the trumpet player. You may remember him from the TV series Quincy, if we have to mention it. But uh, also <laughs> from that great movie, Twelve Angry Men, where he played juror number five. Great film. Um, yet Frank Wolf as the Baron. John Anderson as Gabriel, or Gabe, as we like to call him. Uh, he was in Psycho, where he played California Charlie. And he was also in the great baseball movie, Eight Men Out, where he played Judge mm-hmm. Kennesaw Mountain. Uh, he had Mary Webster as Nan, which uh, we talked about and discovered earlier that Nan was actually um, a thing that Rod Sterling used for his daughter. Um, you had Ned Glass as Nate, uh, who was the pawn shop owner. Um, he was actually in Kid Galahad as Max Lieberman, which was an Elvis movie. And he was also in West Side Story. You had James Flavin as the truck driver, <laughs> which he's, well, he's, uh, he's pretty funny of this. Uh, he was in the original King Kong, where he played second mate Briggs. And he was also in Mighty Joe Young as Schultz in 1949. Uh, so, Eric, that is your short cast. There's also a bunch of people running around in the background in this, which we'll get to some of them, um, like the identical twins yeah, yeah. here in a little bit. Yeah. But that's your cast. All right. Let's move on with the, the plot. The plot for this episode is... Joey Crown, once known for playing the lead with a magic horn, now drowns his sorrows in a bottle. Unable to brush the filth from whence he came and tired of being rejected by the nightclub operators, Joey trades in his trumpet so that he can afford to buy his last drink. Longing for a way out, he walks into the street to become a victim of a hit and run. When he wakes, Joey finds himself ignored Uh, By people on the streets, and justifiably so, his reflection cannot be seen in mirrors or windows, which we're going to get to an important Mm -hmm. uh, continuity thing in this episode about that, but uh, I digress. And uh, he he suspects his attempt at suicide worked. He is now a ghost, returning uh, to the back alley of the nightclub where uh, Joey once worked. He overhears trumpet music that could make butterflies dance and deaf men cry. The stranger (laughs) strikes a brief friendship with Joey, explaining that he's not dead, he's in limbo. Joey uh, can only understand meaning through the notes of a trumpet, and having heard the music played by the stranger, he confesses he forgot how valuable his life is. Offered the choice to uh, go back, Joey accepts. As the stranger walks away, Joey asks the stranger for his name. Gabe, short for Gabriel. Purchasing his trumpet bag, Joey returns to the rooftop of the tenement and spends the long evening hours trying to reproduce the music he heard Gabe play. Nan, a new tenant, overhears the music and visits Joey on the rooftop. She's new to the city and wants him to show her the sights. Maybe, just maybe, the two can make some beautiful music together. Waka waka waka. <laughs> very nicely done. Very nicely done. So, Eric, 
What do I think about this episode? <laughs> and that's right back up. No. <laughs> um, yeah. Where do you want to start? At the beginning? Well, that's usually a good Let's place Let's just to lightly work our way through this. <laughs> slightly? Lightly. <laughs> oh, lightly. We're, we're only going to uh, highlight some... So we start off... Uh, Jack Klugman, as Joey, is in the, this alleyway of a, a club. And... Okay, okay. Right, I got. I got to go ahead and say something right now. And let me go. Let me go, go ahead. We ju- we're going to start lightly, but let me just say, the sets that they use for this. This is supposed to be the alleyway of a club. Okay, I know. That's and, why I'm surprised and, they spent forty nine thousand dollars on this episode. Well, it's probably. I have to go back and look at the breakdown. Yeah, but I'm just saying the this alleyway is full of uh, what would you call them. Uh, <sighs> planks and paint cans, uh, poles and, and lanterns and, and dirt. It's just. It's like. Somebody just went out and they scaffolding. just scaffolding. Yeah. yeah, like they just went out and finished a movie set and just threw everything in this alleyway. And this is your alleyway that you're using. Yeah. Um, it's an and it's alleyway. got some lights on it. But see, that doesn't make sense. It's got lights hanging from. Yeah, that is kind of odd. And what kind of construction are they going to be doing in an alleyway like that? I mean, it's just really weird. And sorry, I didn't mean to go on a tangent right Not- there, but I was just like that. Really bothered me. I think that really set the whole tone for this episode for me. So. Sorry, Eric, take it away. No, no, that's fine. Uh, jump in whenever you, you feel the need. Um, For speed. <laughs> yeah. So, here, um, Joey's talking to his friend, Baron, and he's really kind of asking for a, a job, an opportunity to come in and play the horn. He, you know, he's he's tried to explain to Baron that he's gotten his life straightened up. He's been on the wagon for six or seven months, you know, um, because there's been a falling out, obviously, between the two of them. And he just wants an opportunity to come back in and play in the club. So he stands outside the door. And then Baron um, tries to stuff some money into his jacket. He takes well, it. let me back up. Because he goes to take the trumpet out of the case, right? I think, and then yeah, he, goes he drags the case, and then a, a bottle of booze falls out and smashes on the ground. Right. And, you know... Obviously, it, he's been lying. Yeah, he's lying. And and then Baron then goes to try to put some money into uh, Joey's pocket, and um, basically we well I'll go ahead and put it in here. There's a monologue here. Um, you know, Baron is you know having a conversation with Joey, and he's and Joey's just kind of trying to explain how he's you know been dealt from the bottom of the deck his whole life, and you know the struggles that he's had. Um, in his life and how he wakes up and you know he's really depressed really I mean right. his life is not worth living he's he's kind of hit like as they say he's kind of coming to his rock bottom right so to speak and so I'll let this run here for a bit and then I'll insert this uh, clip in right here because I'm sad because I'm nothing and because I live and die in a crummy one roomer with dirty walls and cracked pipes and I'll never even have a girl. I'll never be anybody. Half of me is this horn. I can't even talk to people, Baron, because this horn, that's half my language. But when I'm drunk, Baron, oh, when I'm drunk, boy, I don't see the dirty walls or the cracked pipes. I don't know the clock's going, that the hours are going by. Because then I'm Gabriel. Oh, I'm... I'm Gabriel with a golden horn. And when I put it to my lips, it... comes out jeweled. It comes out...
comes out a symphony. Comes out the smell of fresh flowers in summer. Comes out beauty. Beauty. And there you have it. You just heard from Mr. Joey himself. So, Eric, from here, well, you can yeah. tell that uh, he's given up on playing the trumpet. Yeah. You know, he's really hit rock bottom. He's he's selling it for another drink, it looks like. Yeah, he goes to the pawn shop in the next scene. Well, he goes up to the scaffolding to, to sort of sit alone, right, at the end of that scene. And then uh, after the monologue, and then uh, he's playing his trumpet. And then the next scene we come to, he's in the pawn shop, just like you said, Jumbo, and he's going to sell his trumpet. Uh, what's he get, like $8? Or he $8? said, I'll give you $8, you know, or something. And he's like, you see him, he doesn't really want to give away. He puts it in there, he's going to try to play it again. You know, he's wetting his whistle or wetting the, the well, I forget what you call the end of yeah. the trumpet. My son plays it, I can't even think of the name of it. But <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a reed, is it? I don't think you call no, it a trumpet a reed. No, a reed has that wooden yeah. piece in it. But... Here he is. He's what is it called? The wagon is, is that the name of the bar? Or the wagon or bandwagon or something? I think. <laughs> yeah, it might be. And he goes in and has he spends all eight dollars on booze, and then comes staggering out. And then uh, the pawn shop owner is putting his trumpet out on display in the front in the front window for twenty five dollars, yeah, nonetheless. Yeah, so. twenty five bucks. He's like, I got marked yeah, up. So he's got like three times. He's gonna ask three times what he got for it. Which he's a businessman. Yeah. And uh, how would we describe this going forward? Uh, 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 I think he's come to rock bottom, and he's like, uh, he looks down there, and uh, he's walking, and he sees a guy run across the street, uh, barely missing a truck as it's speeding by, and you can tell that he's struggling with what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And um, He's like, well, I'm just going to step out in front of this truck. <laughs> and yeah. wham! And the lady screams, ah! You know, and he's laying there unconscious. And then you have one of the beautiful uh, yeah, photos or really scenes shot, yeah. of cinematography where he's laying. Uh, the reflection in his window of the window where his trumpet is, you can see his body. Uh, very well done right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a reflection in the front the store window. Yeah, that was really cool. And he wakes up, and after... We get we I don't know do we go to commercial break there or maybe I it's just so. a change of scene, yeah, change of scene. and it's night it's it's nighttime right right and it happens during the daytime right it's hit by the truck and he wakes up and it's night and he goes up to the a police officer that's standing there and then they have a conversation and this is where he says, he says officer there. flattery or gattery or yeah, whatever remember which, he's like yeah. you can ask him I'm not a really a drunk you know I've been yeah. clean for so long and you're yeah. I think you made the point that he's uh, the officer you see in actually a different episode of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, uh, was it the Night of the Meek? Yeah, he th- th- his name is used here in this episode, but we actually meet Officer Flannery in the, the Night of the Meek episode. Um, so that's pretty cool. And then he walks down the sidewalk to it looks like a the movie house, right? Um, yeah, they also have a movie thing, movie like, theater. Like during back in the old day, you yeah. would have the ticket seller out front selling the tickets to the movies. Yep. And so there's a woman um, sitting in the booth and reading a newspaper. Or yeah, something. and it looks like she's just ignoring him, and he's screaming at her actually. And um, do you have in your notes here the trivia part with the whole the, the dual scene here, or did you want to save that and talk about it later? Uh, we can. Um, what's really interesting here is he's talking to her. And he goes over and looks at what you think is a mirror, 
and he cannot be seen in this mirror, but he sees the lady, yeah. um, the ticket lady in the mirror, and he's like, why can't they see me? So how this was done is that's not really a mirror that he's looking into. It's actually an identical set built yeah. as he looks through that one window, and that is the lady's identical twin sister sitting at that uh, one on the inside. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's really cool. And he's like, I don't believe it. And and here's something that we could point out right now, too. This is where he realizes, like, hey, I'm a ghost. Yeah. Basically. Uh, my reflection is not showing up in the mirror. Um, yeah. And we talked about even if he was a ghost and nobody is paying attention to him. He's like, hey, I'm a ghost. You know, I saw all these people. that His cigarette would have showed up in the mirror, I do believe. Yeah. The smoke or, and the light would have shown up from the cigarette. Right. Uh, I don't know if he ever got a lit, did he? Well, he asked the guy for a light. But he doesn't light that it. comes out of the theater. Yeah. I don't think he does light it. But it's kind of... Ha- I kind of think of it as the, the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze or The Sixth Sense. You mentioned that earlier. It kind of has that feel to it. And, and you'll find out why later in the episode. Gabe is going to reveal to him why. But, yeah. Um, so he his reflection is... The way the shot is set up, like you explained, Jimbo, it's, it's set up to look like a mirror... And that he's not seeing his reflection in the mirror because he's dead. Uh, but actually, it's a duplicated set with a twin that's in the ticket booth. And it looks like probably just like a regular plexiglass or a regular window in between, not an actual mirror. So right. it just it, the shot is set up to look like it's a mirror, but it's, it's actually a see-through shot. Right. So, uh, yeah. And then we this comes to the next continuity thing, which you mentioned also, we the next scene is the the bar scene, and Joey is you know just having a regular old conversation with the bartender, and the bartender doesn't even know he's there because you know he's a quote unquote ghost, and you know he's talking to him just like he's been talking to other people and they're not responding, but the continuity error comes into play when he goes to pick up a shot glass full of whiskey. Well, he actually picks up the bottle and dumps yeah, the thing, the too. Yeah, the bottle, too, yeah. So, um, I remember in Ghost, since we, you brought that up, with I was like, get off my train! You know, and he was so angry yeah. that he could make yeah. the quarter and stuff, yeah. or a penny or whatever, you know what I mean? So, maybe that continuity doesn't transfer over into all movies with ghosts, but yeah, remember, like, Patrick Swayze, he picks could up focus that. his energy on his two fingers enough to where he could make <laughs> things move or whatever, but to the to the alive people, quote unquote, they saw the objects moving, but not the body. Right. So you would think these other people would be freaked out if they saw just a cigarette, or if they saw a guy pick or something pick up a glass and dump something in right. there. And then if he drank it, it would be, would it be like the Invisible Man, where you could see the stuff going down his you know and into yeah. his stomach as well. You know? Yeah. And the Invisible Man was when was that like the nineteen fifties, right? Something like that. Yeah. So I mean, that would have been a, a concept that would have been probably actually. Known. I think it's in the thirties, like was it? late thirties or early 40s. Okay. I'll have to, we covered it on the podcast <laughs> on the mainstream. You can go back and look at the Universal yeah. Monsters series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been a long time since then. So, yeah, just that concept, I think. I, I was about to be like, well, I think maybe we're being too harsh because, you know, Ghost and then The Sixth Sense were many years, made many years later. But I think that concept probably was introduced even before the Twilight Zone of the right. 1960s. So, Anyway, maybe we're belaboring that point a little too much, but that was something both of us noticed. 
um, the objects were being moved, and he was touching the jukebox, and I don't think he actually played any songs no. on the jukebox, but other objects he was moving around. And then now, the trumpet, we're coming to that wait, man, here in a Before minute. that, yes. did he open the door to go into the bar, too? I can't remember if he actually... I think he. I think, the scene, opened, I think the scene opened with him sitting on the bar stool, I think. But I don't okay. I can't remember. Um, but we move from the bar scene to the next scene. We're back in the alley, the original alley in which we opened the episode. And this is where we meet Gabe. And here, here's another continuity object thing, thingy, is that Gabe is playing the most beautiful, melodious trumpet songs, you know, and, you know, Joey is just immediately... Uh, he's tuned in to this trumpet music that he hears and and then he meets Gabe and then Gabe um you know has some words of encouragement really and wisdom for him and he tells Joey that he's a really good trumpet player and then he goes Gabe allows Joey to play his trumpet well, how can he play the trumpet if and he didn't wipe the mouthpiece off how <laughs> yeah covid people covid he got the yeah. Let germs all over that. Yeah, he had germs all over but the. But one trumpet. thing I want to point out is we'll probably talk to it later. But this guy looks just like Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Gabriel looks, and he's actually played even a couple of things. Yeah. I don't know what, but if you look, he would be the perfect Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, he is a dead ringer for Abraham Lincoln. And yeah, our notes, our notes said that he played in three other, what three other productions? It doesn't say movies specifically, but he portrayed Abraham Lincoln in three other projects. But it didn't really give specifics. I don't know if it was a movie or if it was a play or what, but anyway, um, Gabe, the dead ringer for Abraham Lincoln. Um, Maybe his name's Abe, not Gabe. Yeah, really. <laughs> they have a really long conversation, and then Joey begins to realize that, well, let me back up. Gabe reveals, this is the Twilight Zone twist, really. He reveals to Joey that Joey's not the dead one. That the, all the other people are the dead ones, and Joey's the, in some sort of limbo, and right. he's not really dead, and he's not really alive after being hit by that bus. But he, the, all the other people are dead, um, and that's why they're not interacting with him or seeing him. And he has to make it. Joey has to make a decision whether he's at a crossroads, whether his life is worth going back to, and he wants to be alive again, or if he wants to go ahead and be all the way dead or whatever. And. Uh, Joey begins to realize that his life is is good and there's a lot of beauty in his life and he wants to return and give it a second try. And and that's where kind of the, the words of encouragement come from Gabe and tells him, you know, you got to stick with it. You're going to have dark times. You're going to have good, sweet times and sour times in your life, but you just got to hang in there and sort of roll with it. And no more stepping off the curb. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's basically telling yeah. you don't end your life when yeah. things get hard. Yeah, and then this is per- nope. This isn't the end of the. I'm sorry, I'm cutting it off. So after Joey kind of makes that decision, Gabe walks away, and a lot of people. What were you saying? Some people were saying right, that you what, could see a halo. Well, right here, see this? No, they're saying that this looks like a, a halo. A halo for Gabe. So basically, when Gabe turns around, he's like, "Hey, I didn't get your name." And he turns around, I say, "It's Gabe," and he's like, "Gabe." He's like, "Yeah, sure for Gabriel." And he turns right. around. And the light above him, they say, oh, it looks like a halo above him. And I was just like, that's kind of far-fetched for me because it's just a light. Yeah. But he runs down there and he runs at the end of the uh, thing and Gabe's gone. And this is where Joey is 
brought whatever back to life and then the, all the there's a reenactment of the moments that he gets hit by the truck and it looks as though he didn't die but the truck driver just gate grazed him and then he's like hey pal do me a favor i've never had an accident in 25 years of driving this truck won't you be a pal and he stuffs some money in his pocket and to be a pal and don't tell anybody it doesn't this give happened. A, doesn't even give him a chance to answer he just shoves the money in his pocket he's like all right that a boy chapin and he just gets back in the car and takes off you know so from there, Joey takes the money that the truck driver gave him, and he goes and buys his trumpet back. And uh, then after that, I think the next scene we come to, and, and Joey's happy. This is, you know, he's happy that he's back alive again and doing the things that he loves the most, which is making music with the trumpet. And the next scene we come to is he's on the rooftop of his uh, what we would assume is apartment building, and he meets. Uh, a woman up there, and her name is Nan. Nan, is that right? Uh-huh. And um, they begin to have a conversation, and Nan says, "Well, I'm new here. I've never, you know, I would love to have someone show me around." I'm paraphrasing, and and then, you know, Joey says, "I would love to." Um, and then, you know, they meet each other, sort of make a date, and it was all as a result of him playing the trumpet on the top of this building and doing what he loved to do, and trying to make beautiful music right and um if i'm not mistaken i think that the music that he's trying to play on top of the roof is the same music that he heard gabe playing yeah yeah so um it basically you know because it spoke to him and he's just trying to you know capture that yep. momentum that he had yeah and so basically she's like well you can show me around new york <laughs> yeah <laughs> or i guess it's new york yeah it is yeah. yeah and uh so now that he got his life back together it looks like other things are going to fall in place that he's never had before so yeah well let's you, talk you want to go to trivia or do you want me to give a little quick biopic of yeah jack go ahead Klugman. and give a biopic of jack Klugman okay before this we is dive just, too further yeah let's just go ahead and put this in here and then jimbo can dive in on all of his trivia there's notes. not he's much got, on this oh so. you don't have much over there yeah. okay um, so Jack Klugman, he obviously was a highly touted, very n- known um, actor in this era, all the way from probably like the 60s. Well, yeah, primarily in the 60s and 70s, probably. But this is only 59. This season one's ni- 50, Well, I guess season one started in 59. Yeah, it aired in 1960. Yeah. So um, just a few highlights. He was born uh, April 27th, 1922 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he died Christmas Eve mm-hmm. 2012 in Woodland Hills, uh, Los Angeles, California. His birth name is Jacob Joachim Klugman. J-O, his middle name is spelled J-O-A-C-H-I-M, Joachim. He was five foot nine. Uh, interesting uh Thing of note is that he actually married Peggy Crosby, who was the ex-wife of Bing Crosby. I thought that was interesting. Mm. He uh, once was part owner of a racehorse that actually came in third at the Kentucky Derby, and the horse's name was Jacqueline Kirk. Excuse me, Jacqueline Klugman. Um, he's probably most um, famous for the television show The Odd Couple, which also starred Tony Randall. Um. Uh, he appears in the original film. I think Jimbo mentioned this earlier. He appeared in the original uh, 12 Angry Men film from 1957. Um, let's see. He was one of the pioneers of the acting uh, in television in the 1950s. And he, again, was best remembered for the 1970s television work as Oscar Madison in The Odd Couple. And, by the way, that was a 
that was taken from the movie The Odd Couple, which was originally a movie with Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. Is that right? And then they made a television series in the 70s about it. Um, He was the last surviving juror of the, the cast of the original 12 Angry Men. He was diagnosed with throat cancer in 1974, which culminated with vocal surgery in 1989, which left uh, Klugman's voice harsh and gravelly. Both his cancer and the scratchy voice were written into several, uh, of, uh, wrote in several later film roles. Um, I already talked about his horse at the Kentucky Derby. Uh, he considered Henry Fonda to be the greatest actor he ever worked with. From both that he was in Twelve Angry Men too. Yeah, yep. And I think that's all I have on him. That was just a quick sort of summary, like highlight. Uh, do you forgot to say he was in Quincy? Oh yeah, that was a. Uh, I don't know how many seasons that ran, and I don't have I don't have that information on here. But yeah, he he was in Quincy. That was so really he was three. Well, I guess this wouldn't count as a series because he was only in a couple episodes of the Twilight Zone. But I mean, pretty notable series. Actually, you know what? He he is tied for the most uh, in the Twilight oh, Zone episodes? with Burgess Meredith. Oh, okay. At four. Okay. Uh, they started an episode, more episodes together than any other actors, which um, not counting those who had smaller supporting roles, of course. Oddly enough, all of Klugman's role involved characters who died during the episodes. So wow, look forward to those in the future. <laughs> Uh, the Buck uh, Buck Houghton and Company truck is a tribute to the producer Buck Houghton. Uh, when Baron is talking to Joey in the alley, he compares him to three famous trumpeters. Because I was like, who are these people? I, I figured they were probably musicians, but mm-hmm. uh, of the big band era. There was Harry James. Uh, he was a trumpet player, uh, playing band leader known for his technical proficiency as well as his tone. Max Kaminsky played with big bands like Tommy Dorsey and Artie Shaw. His style was full-toned and economical in the style of Louis Armstrong. And Billy Butterfield played trumpet, uh, flugelhorn, and cornet with Artie Shaw, Les Brown, and Benny Goodman. Yeah, I only know Louis Armstrong and Benny Goodman are the only names that (laughs) stick out. In the scene outside the movie theater, you can see posters for films Edge of the City, The Big League, and Moonfleet. Uh, Jack Klugman and John Anderson guest starred together uh, in, which was Gabe, uh, guest starred together in season three episode of Gunsmoke, two years previous to co-starring in this Twilight Zone episode. So that'd be an interesting watch if you could find it. And the film's poster on the wall outside of the cinema is The Big Leaguer, starring Edward G. Robinson, a movie released 1953, seven years before the episode aired in 1960 of this one. So Eric, you got any other little Yeah, I got a few, a few more tidbits as far as trivia goes. We, we kind of mentioned this earlier. I might have butchered the name, but the name Officer Flaherty is mentioned by Joey in the beginning of the second act. Uh, though the character never appeared on screen, Serling, who often refused reuse excuse me the names of fictional characters would feature uh, such character officer flaherty in the holiday offering the night of the meek um the framed photo of cassius clay hanging on the wall in the bar and we went back and tried to find that particular there are a lot of photos of boxers in in the episode on the wall of the bar uh, but anyway it, it this particular picture hanging on the wall of the bar in the same is the same photo that appears in almost every bar scene uh, on the Twilight Zone series including uh, a kind of stopwatch and what you need which uh, what you need was probably the first 10 episodes of season one it was probably like five or six somewhere in there 
Um, displayed outside the movie theater are a number of movie posters, uh, including The Edge of the City in 1957, Big Leaguer, 1953, Moon Fleet, 1955, and The Marauders of 19, uh, 1955. These posters belong to MGM releases and were pulled from stock at the Twilight Zone's home studio. And this might be an interesting note. The Twilight Zone was not telecast on the evening of May 27, 1960. Instead, another entry in the CBS report series was presented with Edward R. Morrow uh, as both host and reporter. Uh, the title of this presentation about public school integration, Who Speaks for the South? So apparently, well, this was May 20th, so it must have been the next week would have been May 27th. So whenever the next episode of The Twilight Zone was due to air on May 27th, they interrupted it with this uh, news presentation uh, regarding public school integration. you got to remember this was the 1960s in the middle of the Civil Rights Movement uh, public school integration and all that stuff going on in the South. Right. Um, so apparently it was an important enough cultural event that they, they canceled the episode following this one of the Twilight Zone. And I think that's all I got as far as little tidbits and trivia. All right, Eric. It's judgment time. Give me your... Uh, you want me to go first or yeah. you want to go first? I always let you go first. Okay. This this one is... This postscript is not going to be as... as uh, Good as the last one, probably. It's entitled Don't Waste Your Life. Um, it's very simply written. written. <laughs> Joey says he is sad. His life is the embodiment of dusty walls and cracked pipes. Joey Crown, a man is he who is struggling with the albatross of alcoholism. He was at one time a gifted and talented musician full of potential. This tragic fall from grace story is as old as time. He trades the one thing in life that brings him the most joy for fleeting moments of pleasure at the bottom of a bottle. He's so far down in the pit of despair that he decides that he has nothing to live for and decides that ending his life by stepping in front of a bus is his only way out. He awakens to find that he is a ghost, but not really. He meets <laughs> a new friend, Gabe, who helps him understand that life is worth living. And Joey realizes that he had he has really good friends and a pretty good life that he had just forgotten about and Gabe tells Joey that he has he is an exceptional talent and he warns him not to waste it that's pretty much it there it's pretty guess, simple I thought she was going to be harsh on this that didn't sound very no. bad I thought she was going to be like you know, remember those uh, kindergarten books or your first grade books where you first started the holiday? Like, Jack was sad. Jack got hit by bus. Jack sold trumpet. Jack, Jack, good now. You know, that's what I thought. That's been a good but, idea. But here we go. Are you ready? The moral of the story is: don't waste your life drinking alcohol. Right. Uh, are you ready for mine? Yeah. All right. Here's here's my take. Obviously, this was a passage for trumpet, or as I like to call it, otherwise known as. A dirge for Jimbo. And if those who don't know what a dirge is, it's a funeral song. <laughs> Here we go. I said, Klugman's performance is great, and I'm not going to take anything away from him. But to me, this episode was a letdown for me from previous episodes. I never got emotionally involved with the characters as I have with other uh, episodes, uh, people, or characters in the past episodes. I'm also not musically inclined. I can't even carry a tune in a bucket. And this episode centers heavily around a trumpet and trumpet music. Um, my son even plays trumpets, as I mentioned, so even the soundtrack would just be trumpet music. 
The set is cheap looking. And if I'm supposed to believe that this is the back entrance to the nightclub or back alley, then why is all the scaffolding and planks and boards and lanterns, so many lanterns all just laying out there? Um, I will say that the lighting and shadowing are very nicely done from the alley to look into the back door of the nightclub to see the silhouette of a man and the piano, uh, the silhouette of a man playing the trumpet and the piano, uh, the shadows. Um, There's also a great shot where you can see Klugman's reflection after he has been hit by the truck in the window where his trumpet is priced to sell. The message sent of this episode is to don't just give up. Just because you can't do the things you used to do as you get older doesn't mean that you can't take some of those talents and use them differently later in your life. Joey, even though he may not be headlining the nightclub scene anymore, now has found Nan, a lady that is new to town, likes his trumpet playing, and was asking him to show her around. He has finally found something in himself that he can make someone else happy, and that alone makes his life worth living. And you can tell that by the expression and smile on his face after he meets Nan. For me, this is just a lackluster episode of The Twilight Zone with poor set designing, mediocre acting from a supporting cast, and frankly, nothing really stands out in this episode to consider it a top-tier episode for me. So there you have it. There you have it. That's my dirge, <laughs> and I'm sticking to it. So, there you have it. Um, episode 32 in the books. Nah, the next episode, episode 33, I think it's about Mr. Beavis. And I, I think it might be called Mr. Beavis, Yeah. or it might be something else. <laughs> Eric doesn't look very thrilled with no, that one either. It doesn't so. get much better. So these... These uh, these this we're, we're down the home stretch. These there's a couple of flops in the next couple, I do believe, uh, but we're almost there. I think uh, thirty three to four to five. The four more episodes to go, and one of them is the Mighty Casey, which is Eric's favorite of season one. So. Oh, the Mighty Casey! <laughs> I can't. I'm going to start writing my postscript right now. <laughs> well, well, I think we've rattled on long enough. Uh, thanks for tuning in and listening once again. So. I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And Eric, take it away. And cut! Joey Cron, who makes music, and who discovered something about life, that it can be rich and rewarding and full of beauty, just like the music he played. If a person would only pause to look and to listen, Joey Cron, who got his clue in the Twilight Zone.